I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It is the Tuesday night of Western Carolina week. It is time once again for Tide Talk with Travis Schreier and Charlie Potter, your trusty BOL staff members. Uh, we get together for this each and every Tuesday night, at least we try to anyway. This one on the heels, by the way, of Alabama's 81-73 to win on the men's basketball side of things Tuesday night at Coleman Coliseum. Uh, and with that, I bring Charlie Potter into the discussion. I know Charlie going into this game uh, on Tuesday night for Nate Oates in his fourth game as Alabama head coach. There were some questions about the health statuses of a few guys, and certainly the emphasis on reducing turnovers. Too many for Nate Oates liking to this point. Uh, I'd say on the second issue, that, that kind of went unfulfilled. Uh, 22 turnovers in the game for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, and then, again, dealing with some health issues with this team going into this this game against the Purple Paladins. Yeah, it was back-to-back games with 22 turnovers, and that's something he's not happy with. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big issue, and he knows that if, if they continue this trend, uh, they're not going to have any chance against North Carolina next week in the Bahamas. That's their next opponent, and it's a big one. And uh, I know that's a game that they have a week to prepare for, and um, that, that's certainly something they want to clean up is all these turnovers. But um, another thing in this game is uh, you didn't have Beetle Bolden on the floor. You know, he was a guy that was going to be a game time decision heading into it. We talked to, to Nate Oates on Sunday night and uh, he all but said that Beetle wasn't going to play. Um, he actually hurt his hand in the Rhode Island game and it's not the wrist injury he's been dealing with. It's more of a, a bone bruise in his hand, same hand though. Um, and it's a situation where he has it wrapped up in a cast. It, it's not broken, but they're going to, you know, Take it easy with him, reevaluate it Monday, probably take the cast off and see how things have gone there, and hope that he's healthy for the North Carolina game because he didn't even dress out on Tuesday night. He was in street clothes, and uh, everyone else, though, um, that's available was healthy. Uh, Herb Jones played 32 minutes. Uh, a guy like Galen Smith uh, left the game but was able to return. Uh, he's someone I think that had a concussion earlier in the year, maybe in the preseason. And uh, I think they were just kind of being cautious with him. And uh, he was able to return to the game. And uh, he only played 11 minutes. That's because he, he got in some foul trouble also. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for this team, the, the biggest point of emphasis, or the, I guess the two biggest points of emphasis is staying healthy because you're already without three players in Quinterly, Rojas, and Gary. But cleaning up the turnovers, it's just been kind of sloppy. And, uh, you know, I think it was at the first media timeout they had, they were up to six and, uh, it just seems like it kind of happens, uh, quick and fast for them, the, the sloppy play, the turnovers. And I know that's something that's going to be, I know it was emphasized, but it's going to be something that's even more emphasized headed to this week of preparation before they head to the Bahamas. Yeah. 13 first half turnovers on Tuesday night, 
still managed to take a three-point lead at 34-31 into the intermission. A pretty slow start for Kyra Lewis Jr., not in that he took a lot of shots and just couldn't uh, make them. It was just, you know, his his involvement in general. But, uh, you know, Jaden Shackelford, uh, the freshman, once again picks up the slack on offense with 14 of Alabama's first 22 points. Uh, Javion Davis, you know, Javion Davis is a guy that, what, six, seven months ago, you wondered if he would still be a part of this program with Nate Oates coming in between injuries and really a credit to him dropping the weight, uh, becoming a, a, a really active presence in the post. This is a guy that I think at this point we have to look at and think, again, for, for reasons that, that involve some other players as well uh, due to injuries. Javian Davis has been a real factor here early. Yeah, I think he's been their most consistent big. Um, you know, Galen Smith is um, a serviceable player. He's he's experienced. He's been in this program, but they're getting a lot of production out of number zero. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the way he's transformed his body is remarkable. Uh, since he got on campus, he's dropped 50 pounds. I know he had the red shirt year last year, but going into the offseason, he just went home and continued to work. And uh, you're dropping 50 pounds, that's no small feat. And uh, you commend him for, for that, and it's showing up on the court. He's playing really well. He had 10 points, 9 and 5 boards. And uh, at 27 minutes, he got the start. And I think he just um, – has been a bright spot for this team, or at least from a consistency standpoint, you, you've you've been able to get several productive games out of him. And then I think it was a big game for Shackelford. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, has struggled a little bit on the defensive end, and you've seen Nate Oates get on him in, in multiple games for it. But uh, I think he's a guy that, that takes coaching pretty well, and uh, you know went out and had a career high twenty five points and led all the scorers. So big game for them. And with Kyra. Um, Obviously, he's going to be the focal point for opposing teams to try to slow down because he's Alabama's best player. I think that's pretty evident. But he's the guy that I think they defended well. I, I believe he didn't take his first or he didn't attempt his first field goal until the six and a half minute mark of the first half. So they were they were playing pretty well on him. But he also you know went on to score 19 points and was six to six from the free throw line. And that's an improvement for him. So. I thought they got some good contributions for those guys. Um, you know, John Petty had 16. So they had four guys in double figures. And, you know, even though they had those 22 turnovers, they were able to limit the points off turnovers for uh, Furman. Uh, they had a lot less than uh, Rhode Island did. But you're able to see some shots fall from guys like Shackelford and and um, and Petty and, and Lewis. So all that combined is, you know, turns out to an eight-point win over a team that – Entered this game 4-0, and I think is one of the the better teams on Alabama's schedule. I know they'll they'll be a, a team that you know Alabama obviously has a win over, but I think they they don't get enough credit for 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 what they are and what they will eventually be this season. Yeah, 11-2 run for Furman to open the second half to give the Purple Paladins a six point lead. Nice chin though there from Alabama after taking that uh, right cross early in the second half. Alabama goes on a 13-3 to run of its own to go back up 49-45. What about Nate Oates? Teed up again at Coleman Coliseum, <laughs> Charlie, and it's a 50-50 game about midway through that second half. Oates gets teed up. Alabama goes on a 28-20-8 run. Uh, from that point forward, goes on to take its largest lead of the game at 70 to 70 to 58. I'm not saying that 
you know, that was one of those technicals that energized a team. Uh, I didn't sense that energy or juice was a, a major problem, a deficit of it anyway for Alabama. But uh, Nate gets after the Zebras pretty good, Charlie. He does. And, you know, the, the players, I, I agree, they, they weren't, you know, like today's or anything throughout the game. But I think they they kind of saw that sense of urgency from the coach and they went on that run. And I think that was kind of the message, um, you know, whenever they huddled together to, to do that and to, to stop their momentum. And uh, they accomplished that. Yeah. You mentioned that run and then they were really effective from the free throw line after that point as well. Um, so that cooled him down a, a bit, but he's a guy that, um, you know, got teed up eight days ago. And he he explained that he usually gets about one a season, so um, he's yeah. above the average. I guess he uh, I guess he was uh, talking in, in dog years. That was a joke that our colleague Kurt McNair made on up at press row. That was pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that his intensity is is evident, and I think that's good for the players. Not that they didn't have that before, but um, I, I think it's just. It's just different when they dotes, and I think they they appreciate that intensity, that attitude, and, and that leadership. And, and he's definitely a guy that they feed off of whenever he does that. Yeah, once every eight days. Maybe we'll start calling him once every eight and eight uh, <laughs> when you talk about technicals, because uh, that's sort of been the the time in between uh, tees for Nate Oates here uh, in the last couple of home games there at Coleman Coliseum, but a much needed win for Alabama. Some credit to Jordan Lyons too, from the Furman side of things, mm-hmm. 31 second half points. He goes 13 of 13 from the free throw line. Y- you look at that kind of performance. You look at Alabama with 22 turnovers and you start thinking, how does this thing even out? But more even scoring from Alabama with four guys in double figures the bench was a big factor in this. With Jaden Shackelford's 25, Alabama outscores Furman 28 to 9 uh, in bench points. So you said it earlier. Uh, it doesn't get any early easier. Uh, you head down to ba- the Bahamas, uh, but you're going to be wading into the deep end of the pool down there at the Atlantis Resort because you get the North Carolina Tar Heels coming up next down there uh, in the Bahamas. Cole Anthony, Kyra Lewis. What about that for a head-to-head matchup, Charlie, at the point guard position? Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch because, um, you know, Kyrus, a preseason uh, first-team All-SEC, he was on my ballot, and uh, I think he's a talented player. He's a guy that a lot of uh, NBA teams have started to take notice of. I believe there were 10 uh, teams represented up in Rhode Island, and they were there primarily to watch number two. So um, he He's definitely got uh, the eyes of the scouts. I think Alabama is almost preparing for him to leave after this year if he continues on this trajectory. But he's going to face the the toughest matchup of, of his young career. And um, you know this is a, a game where we've seen you know the the point guards uh, of that caliber kind of go at it before. Um, you know, we saw a game with with Colin Sexton and Trey Young. Um, you know, we'll see if it's, it's similar to that. That was a very entertaining game, one that Alabama was able to win. I think this is a lot tougher opponent, to say the least. And it'll be a good measuring stick, though, for Alabama. They've had, you know, four tough games to start the season. Um, I know they're not at full health, um, but I think they have enough guys to, to make it interesting. So we'll see what a, a week of preparation uh, does. Uh, they, it doesn't get any easier after North Carolina either because the next day on Thanksgiving they get to play either Michigan or Iowa State, and those are two uh, pretty good ball clubs. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing just how this team responds. And, 
you know, if they can reduce these turnovers, going against some really quality opponents. Yeah, anything but a vacation coming up for <laughs> Alabama basketball on that trip to the Bahamas. Some good news, too, on the recruiting front as we shift to football here in just a second. Uh, Keon Ambrose Hilton, the 6'8 forward from Toronto, makes it official. His paperwork comes in as the lone member to date, I guess, of the early signing period for this class of 2020, uh, the first full class, uh, first full cycle under Nate Oates, Brian Hodson, and that Alabama staff. Uh, this looks like a guy that fits the mold pretty well, right, for what Nate Oates wants to do, long, athletic, still developing. Uh, a lot of positives when you sign top 100 players, and Hilton has the look uh, of one of those guys that, as good as he is now, Charlie, his best basketball is probably still in front of him. Yeah, I mean, that was something that Nate Oates talked about tonight after the game. Um, you know, he was asked about Keon, and, and he talked about how his improvement over the last year and a half to two years is as good as he's seen out of anyone in the top 100. And uh, he's turned himself into a really good shooter. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's 6'8", um, kind of similar to the Herb Jones kind of build, the, the wing that does everything. And if you can get – um, anywhere close to Herb's defense, but have an offensive game in it, a consistent offensive game, uh, that's a talented player and a, a player you can move all over the floor. And uh, I think that's one of the big things that the Nails and this staff are, are telling people is they basically have a positionless um, team. They play a lot of guys all over the floor. I know Kyra runs the point primarily, but we've seen, we've seen Herb do that. Herb's played the four. He's even played the five in some small lineups. So, you know, they're going to get versatile with these guys and, um, you know, Keon's the probably the lone guy they're going to sign in this early signing period. I know it's coming to a close here pretty soon. Uh, but one of the interesting things was um, how Nados was talking about the approach to the rest of the recruiting cycle and how, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, that they, they are almost anticipating that Kyra leaves and goes to the NBA. And uh, if, if he continues on this trajectory, if he, they do that, they're going to need to find a, a point guard, combo guard to, to pair with Javon Quinterly next year. And so um, I, I think in this day and age in, in basketball and just college athletics in general, you kind of anticipate a, a transfer or two. And um, I don't know who that's going to be or if that will happen. But if that's the case, the way they're looking at it is, you know, they want to find uh, an athletic big to complement what they already have. And like I said, a, another you know combo guard slash point guard, uh, whatever they find, and they're going to look everywhere. Uh, they talked about uh, some of the potential players that they would be looking at. And obviously, they can't name names, but they're going to continue looking Canada. Uh, I think there's guys that that Keon Ambrose Hilton knows that uh, they'll they'll try to target and try to recruit. But it, it's tough for this staff because this 2020 class, you're you're late in the recruiting process. A lot of these guys already have relationships with staffs across the country, uh, you know, deep-seated, embedded relationships. And so a lot of their focus is going to be on 2021. But I think they're, you know, keeping their ears out, keeping their feelers out for some of these 2020 guys. And, um, you know, if they have an opportunity to add somebody to the roster um, because of attrition that isn't guaranteed, then uh, I, I think that they have their, their eyes set on some guys. Yeah, maybe this early signing period, too, gave us a glimpse into the approach that Oates and this staff will have moving forward. Went big game hunting into Mari Burnett, the five-star guard from Prolific Prep out in Napa Valley. Big game hunting for that athletic big that you outlined. 
and Isaiah Jackson of Waterford, Michigan. Didn't land either one of those guys. Burnett goes to Texas Tech. Jackson goes to Kentucky. I mean, that's the type of competition you had for those type of five stars. But didn't get left totally at the altar in landing a very solid prospect with a lot of upside in Keon Ambrose Hilton. So without that guard, without that athletic big uh, in Burnett and Jackson, then that sort of tells you in the late period uh, the route that that staff will be looking to go. And as you alluded to there, perhaps it's grad transfers, maybe it's uh, you know, it, 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 it's any man that there'll be turned. There will be no stone left unturned uh, by this staff and trying to, to fill out that 2020 class uh, in the late period. It is Tuesday night Tide Talk. We're going to talk Alabama football right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with Tuesday Night Tide Talk, I'm Travis Ryer. He's Charlie Potter. Charlie, obviously, uh, you talk about an emotional roller coaster that the last three or four days have been for the Alabama football team with the season ending and perhaps career, Alabama career ending injury anyway, that Tua Tonga Bailoa sustained Saturday over in Starkville. Uh, it's been fascinating to sort of watch this play out. Monday, Nick Saban has his weekly news conference that kicks off each and every game week. Uh, I wrote about this Monday. There are instances, there are mile markers in coaches' careers where it looks like they age by about three or four or five years based on the course of events in just a few days' time. I thought Nick Saban had that look. You were there Monday at his news conference. Uh, it felt to me like uh, he had the, the the weight of the world on his shoulders uh, you seldom see him impacted as visibly as he was uh, by this situation, uh, but that was a that's a that was a saving Monday that that we don't that we haven't seen a whole lot of. I wouldn't think. No, we haven't, and um, obviously it's it's tough when you lose any player to season-ending injury and one that um, you know at the time you don't know the severity of it that it could be career ending just because um that is a serious thing and you know you you see all these pictures of Tua and Tua looked rough um initially Nick Saban just thought it was a nosebleed and then Tua didn't get up um you, you know that that a nosebleed isn't going to keep you on the ground that long so you worry about the ankle and then it turns out to be the hip and um you know it's a it's a situation where he said multiple times how he and everyone in the Alabama football program are hurting just because Tua is such a positive and uh, just spirit-filled presence around that building, and he's not there, and uh, he's not going to be on the field the rest of the season. And, um, you know, Saban said that he talked to Tua on Saturday, um, you know, called him to try to cheer him up, and it ends up 
to it cheered him up. He did the same thing Sunday while watching film. So obviously the quarterback is on his mind and the same thing happened. He tried to cheer him up and it was, it was two of that cheered Saban up. So, um, it, it was it was an interesting press conference. It is Western Carolina week. You're not expecting to get any questions about the catamounts. Um, no offense to them, but it was just a it was a Tua driven press conference. Uh, he got a, a a couple of questions about other things, but you know he talked about how um, Alabama lost a great leader, and, and um, you know I asked where do you go from there from a leadership standpoint. And they still have some good ones, but and we've talked um, you know before this season during the season. The two most important players uh, to this team's success entering this 2019 season aren't on the field right now, and that's Tua and Dylan Moses, and they've lost them to season-ending injuries. So those are two of your biggest leaders. They both went to SEC Media Days as juniors. Um, you know, they're guys that were expected to be you know first-team All-Americans at their respective positions, and, and now they're going to be watching the rest of the season from the sidelines. So uh, it's tough. Uh, I can understand where um, you know he's a he's obviously not happy. And then you have everything that transpired this weekend with everybody and their mother having to take about the decision to continue to play him. Uh, he probably did, you know, sit there and, and second guess or question if he made the right decision. I think ultimately with everything that he's ever done, just from his track record and history, um, he's done what he's always done. So I don't think there's really much second guessing that, but when a guy is, when you have the, the benefit of hindsight and a guy is out for the season and that can tend to sit on one's mind. So I'm sure, um, it was a, a hectic weekend for Nick Saban, um, you know, dealing with, you know, trying to find the right treatment for your quarterback and, and hearing that he's going to be flying out to Houston to, to have it. And, uh, that did show uh, on Monday. He had some great stories about Tua, talked about how he's probably one of his, you know, four or five favorite players to, to don a crimson uniform. But uh, I think for, for Nick Saban and everybody, it's a tough blow. Um, but I know you'll probably ask me about their psyche coming up, but it, yeah. when you lose, when you lose a player like Tua, it, it's never easy. It isn't. And you, you've talked to some players here in the last day or so. Uh, exactly. The psyche of this team moving to Mac Jones is the new starting quarterback for Western Carolina this week and anticipated for wherever the path takes Alabama from here. Um, you know, are these guys putting on, in your opinion, a brave face in the wake of the loss of Tua? Or do you sense some legitimate, authentic belief in the new guy that's going to be behind center? Well, the the thing that benefits them is we already had this scenario where Mac had to start, and he, mm-hmm. he started in the Arkansas game, and then that entire week, um, the the overwhelming message is how confident they are in him and his ability, and that hasn't changed. Um, I, I think they have a ton of confidence in Mac Jones. I think when he's had a, a week to prepare, he played a really strong game against Arkansas. I know Arkansas doesn't have a great team. They've already fired their head coach, but uh, it's still an SEC opponent. And have, they have SEC caliber players. And uh, I think Mac is certainly capable. And, you know, this week it's, it's, it's been the same, uh, the confidence they have in him. And, um, you know, we had Jared Maiden come up today, the senior safety. And, uh, you know, he's turned into one of the better interviews on the team, even though he's kind of soft-spoken. But, you know, he recalled a time um, – back when Mac Jones was a freshman, so two years ago, that Mac was on the scout team. And the way that Jared 
retold the story is that you know, Max out there and he's throwing bombs to Tyrell Shavers in practice against the defense and you know probably pisses Nick Saban off a little bit and he says you know man stop throwing it to him all the time him being Tyrell Shavers and Mac Jones uh, being the joker that he is that's what his teammates call him you know, he quickly snaps back to Saban we'll tell your defense to stop it and one of the things that that Jared Maiden said and I think a lot of people this kind of this this idea kind of uh, applies to is that the charisma and confidence that he shows in the practice field leads them to be confident in him what he can do uh, during the game when he has time to prepare. So, um, you know, this week especially, I don't think we're going to talk a lot about Western Carolina. It's a team that Alabama is going to beat. Uh, but I, I think this is just a springboard for the next game. And it's a pivotal game. It's one that uh, is crucial for Alabama's uh, playoff chances that are kind of on a hinge right now. Uh, but just the, the the sense that I get from the players and what they've said is they have confidence in Mac and they have confidence that they're, they're still one of the the four best teams in the country. Um, you know, Jedrick Wills talked about the the idea that with Tua out that they're out of that playoff contingent, and he said that he feels like it, that's that's stupid. That from his standpoint, they have the best players come to Tuscaloosa, the best quarterbacks, whatever the position, no matter if they're, you know, throwing, blocking, tackling, whatever, um, you know, they're still going to compete and the goal for everybody is still win a national championship. So I don't think um, the ultimate goal has been lost and the motivation for that goal has been lost. I just think they realize that it's going to be a lot tougher. And then a lot of people have to step up their games around Mac Jones and, and Mac Jones is going to have to play like he did against Arkansas the rest of the way. And I think that reference point to the Arkansas game, you saw guys collectively, I think, lift their game. Mac played really well against Arkansas, no doubt about it. But as a team in that, that game, albeit against a very bad Arkansas team, uh, Alabama played some of its best football of the season. When you're talking about all three phases, uh, the 60 minutes, all those things, uh, it was impressive. Now, the stakes obviously going up, not so much this week, but when you take this show on the road, that's where the biggest difference probably is, where we don't know as much about Mac Jones. When you put him in that environment in Jordan-Hare Stadium in two Saturdays, uh, even buoyed by all that talent around him on the offensive side of the ball, how is he going to respond to that? I know where Mac Jones comes from. I know like a lot of players on this roster, he comes from a high school program where football is very, very important at the bowl school down in Jacksonville, Florida. I know who he played for as a head coach on the high school level. To me, there's none better that have done it at that level than Corky Rogers. So all those things should help. But then when you look at the defensive side of the ball, Charlie, I mean, you've got to have maybe even more questions about that situation right now, especially with the defensive line injuries. We were out there Tuesday at practice for the media viewing periods. And, uh, you know, if you want an update on some of the young defensive linemen, you should be able to get that Saturday, right? Against Western Carolina. Yeah, you're already without LeBron Ray, um, who's had that nagging foot injury and, and hasn't been able to return since the South Carolina game. He's out, and he you know, was a starter before that. But now you have Raekwon Davis with a sprained ankle. He wasn't at practice on Tuesday. And uh, DJ Dale is dealing with a twisted knee. He was out there, but he wasn't doing anything. So that's your three starters from, from game one that are 
um, either not at practice or limited in, in um, Davis and, and Dale or questionable for Saturday's game. And uh, you, on top of that, you have probably your top reserve in uh, Fidarian Mathis. He's also limited with an undisclosed injury. So that's four um, key players along the defensive line that are out. And um, now you're left with seven scholarship defensive linemen. And I think all seven are probably going to play on Saturday. And, um, you know, that number includes five true freshmen. And um, uh, we've seen a lot from Byron Young and Justin Aboigby. Um, so they, they have experience. A guy like Tavita Musica, who will be playing his last game in Bryant-Denny Stadium, uh, could start at nose tackle if Dale's not able to go. Um, guys like Stefan Wynn and Christian Barmower, who have been in the program, are going to have opportunities. And Barmower's been um, you know, arguably Alabama's best defensive lineman from a pass rush standpoint. So to get him more opportunities, uh, I think that's big uh, for the rest of the way. But then you look at guys like Braylon Ingram, the true freshman from Florida. Um, he's played in only one game this year, and it was you know late in the game. Uh, you know he's probably going to be called upon. And then Ishmael Sopcher from Louisiana. He hasn't played in any games, so he can make his debut. And uh, the good news for those guys is they're going to be basically forced into duty, but they could play the rest of the season and still maintain those red shirts for that new red shirt rule. But, yeah, I mean, it is um, – they're digging at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the defensive line. But you, know, you talked about um, you know the, the Arkansas game and how it was one of Alabama's best games. I thought the defense played you know really well at Mississippi State, save for the the two or three yeah. explosive runs from from quarterback Tommy Stevens. The the secondary, I know State doesn't have a very good passing offense, but the secondary held uh, Stevens to 82 passing yards and had an interception on the first play of the game. Um, you know they they haven't been that great at stopping the run, and outside of those you know three explosive runs, I thought they did a pretty good job of keeping a guy like Kylan Hill in check. So. Uh, I think coming off of this, maybe they gain some confidence. And if they, they play like they did uh, on, on this past Saturday at Auburn and then Mac Jones plays like he did against Arkansas, Alabama has a great chance to win that game in Jordan-Hare. But um, it's going to be needing a collective effort. I think a lot of these guys are going to need to get healthy. And the good news is they have a, a good week right now to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, just from a defensive standpoint – uh, keeping up with these injuries has been uh, a task, to say the least. <laughs> Let's get into the uh, Tide Talk mailbag from the roundtable there on BamaOnline.com as we close things out late on this Tuesday night. Um, we'll start with D4504. He wants to know what we think about Tua's potential draft status. D4504 says he feels like Tua will still be a top 10 pick because there is enough film on him. He also feels like the reward is much greater than the risk of taking him in the top 10 if Tua falls past 10. Someone like New Orleans or New England will come get him within the next five picks. So I think he is still, this is according to D4504, Still thinks Tua is definitely a top 15 pick. This is for the 2020 draft, Charlie. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think he's still a top prospect. He's obviously one of the top players in his position, but I think a lot of teams are going to have questions about um, the injury. Uh, he's a guy that's had multiple surgeries now. He's had injuries to his knee, his hand, both ankles, this hip. Um, you know, the nose <laughs> this past uh -huh. weekend. So he's a guy that's, that's had a, some injury history, and that's obviously a concern for for any team. And, uh, you know, we've seen guys that have been, 
you know, banged up at the end of their careers uh, that are going into the draft drop. Um, I know he's not a quarterback, but, you know, Jalen Smith from Notre Dame, the linebacker, he was um, a guy that everybody talked about as the top 10, top 15 pick, and I think he slipped to the second round uh, and got picked up by the Cowboys. I think for Tua, um, you know, the, the timetable for when he's able to, to return to the field is a, is a big thing. Um, you know, I believe it was Adam Schefter tweeted it out on Monday Night Football or reported it um, on ESPN. I wasn't watching the game, but he said that uh, he'll be on partial weight bearing recovery plan for, for six weeks and will be rehabbing in Tuscaloosa on a daily basis. And then in three months, he'll be able to begin athletic activity again. And then by the spring, he's expected to be able to resume throwing. Um, so that's a, that's a very positive outlook. Uh, the question is, will he be able to throw for, for NFL teams? Because you have the combine coming up in, in February, you have the couple of pro days and, um, I'm sure that going out to, to teams visit, to visit, um, you know, will be something that, that Tua does if he should enter the draft, which I think he probably will. But it's, it's just, it's so tricky just because he's a guy that people had in the conversation for the number one overall pick. And if you slide to the middle, to the end of the first round, that's a lot of money uh, that you're, that you're um, giving up right there. But at the same time, you look at guys like Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, they went to better teams than say a Mitch Trubisky that was drafted number two overall by the bears. So I think that he and his family are going to have a lot to talk about. Um, I still think overall that, that Tua will probably leave just because he is going to be one of the top players at, um, at his position. But right now it's, it's, it's tough to tell. What do you think? Yeah. You know, with Trubisky, I kind of go both ways on that. You're right. When he got there, the bears weren't very good, but at this point, I think Mitch Trubisky might be the biggest obstacle between the bears <laughs> being good and being really good at this point. I yeah, you know, I see it both ways and I, I guess it's so early still in the process. So when yeah. I see reports about concerns about Tua and things like that that are coming uh supposedly from within uh organizations, I I don't put a lot of stock into them in November. Check back with me in March. You know, February, March and as you outlined, that sort of potential, you know, recovery uh, schedule that he has and if he's able to do some things uh, say February March and again we're assuming that he is going to go ahead and, and make himself available for the 2020 draft here's what I do know and you know this too Charlie quarterback fever is a real thing mm-hmm. and when GMs and even more importantly team owners decide they want a quarterback it's like when you and I with our wives and they decide they want a car, Charlie, guess what? If you go to the lot, you're, you're coming home with a car, right? Yep. Well, if these teams come to Tuscaloosa or they see just enough of Tua, you know, with all that tape already uh, and, the, and the prognosis and the team doctors and all these people check him out and it looks good, it's just impossible for me to see him sliding beyond, say, mid-first round. You know, there, there's too many teams that are still either quarterback deficient right now, Charlie, or teams even like the Los Angeles Chargers with Phillip yeah. Rivers, who looks to be on, you know, his downward side. A great player for a long time, but they can't last forever. Tom Brady, great player. He's not going to play till he's 60. He might play till he's 58, but he's not going to play till he's 60. So, yeah. 
man, there, 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 there's a lot of value in quarterbacks. As you talked about, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, man, you get to mid first round and later, you, you can take some shots at some guys. Lamar Jackson wasn't a league wide unanimous uh, pick to be a first round guy. We know that even Deshaun Watson. Um, so when you look at Tua and understanding it's a it's a severe major injury that he's incurred here and it's not the first injury he's had uh, as you as you touched on there uh, there's obviously concerns but man it's it is the position it is the position and if you get it right uh, especially somewhere beyond the top ten picks or so the return is just it's 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 huge because. You get these guys mid to late first round, you've got them for five years. You know, you've got a four-year deal with a club option for a fifth. And when you get a guy in there as a rookie that can deliver and knowing that you're going to have that for five years until the big contract, really big contract comes around, that's uh, that's that's tantalizing. And a lot of times, as we've seen, uh, NFL decision makers, they, they have a tough time turning away from just potential, just basic potential at the position. Um, let's check in with uh, Scott Smith, 9005. Scott says he's not putting this football season to bed just yet. He still contends that with a strong showing in Auburn, Alabama gets into the college football playoff. But, but Scott says, looking ahead, is next year the closest thing to a rebuild We've seen at Alabama since 2000 and 2007, taking into consideration what's on the roster and will be joining the roster in the spring and summer. <laughs> that's that's one thing I'm not really looking forward to, to be honest, is the end of the season, uh, just because the, the guys that will be making draft decisions is going to be the longest list that I've had to cover in my time here and probably just ever in the, the history of yeah. this school because you have so many juniors that are big-time contributors. Just look on offense. They have how many seniors contributing? Zero. Everybody is yeah. a junior beside left guard Evan Neal. So you have all three receivers are going to have to make decisions, and right now they're all three playing like first-round draft picks. Uh, Najee Harris will probably be one of the top running backs taken off the board, and the running back position has changed so much over the last several years, if you have a second or third round draft grade, you're probably going to leave. Um, we've already talked about Tua. You have both of your tackles, Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills. And then your center and your right guard are both juniors or redshirt juniors. And I think those guys will, will probably come back, Landon Dickerson and, and Deontay Brown. But the other guys are, are have a good case to leave. Uh, then you look on the defensive side of the ball. You have some seniors over there. You have Anthony Jennings and Raekwon Davis along the defensive front. Uh, at the in the defensive backfield, you have Trayvon Diggs, uh, Jared Maiden, and Shaheen Carter are all seniors. And then you have a guy like Xavier uh, McKinney, who is probably going to be one of the top safeties uh, whenever the draft prospect rankings come out or get closer to that time. And then Dylan Moses, um, you know, he's a guy that hasn't played this year, but I think he's still probably a top 15, 20 pick just off of talent and the talent alone and what he's shown on film already. And uh, he's a guy that's already running on that ultra deep treadmill. So uh, he's getting back to, 
not 100% help, but he's getting back on his feet. And also Josh McMillan. I know he hasn't played this year, but you know, that's, a, that's a veteran presence in that inside linebacker room. So, oh, and Terrell Lewis, your best pass rusher right now, who's a redshirt junior. I think he's all but gone uh, based on some of the things he said this year. So I didn't even keep track of that, but I know that's double-digit players. <laughs> and <laughs> you're, you're talking about basically – your entire offense and defense. And I know they've played some young players. Uh, I think the the fact that you've had to play so many true freshmen on defense will, will help you next year. But replacing some of the guys that could potentially leave is, is difficult. And, and offensively, um, yeah, I think the, the work that Mac is going to be able to get, even uh, Talia, uh, yeah. I think that's big. And then they're going to be, you know, competing with one of the nation's top overall, players and Bryce Young when he enrolls early but they're going to have new faces at the wide receiver position um, you'll have a guy like Brian Robinson come back Miller Forrestal maybe some offensive linemen but it's going to be completely different and uh, I, I do think it as much as it can be I guess just in the Alabama sense of things a rebuilding year um, but uh, it, it'll be really interesting just to, to break down this team talk about the key contributors going into the spring next year you're basically going in with a, a clean slate so um, I know Alabama recruits well, and some of these guys are getting to play, uh, but just the talent and the experience they're probably going to lose this offseason, it, it's pretty astounding if the, the guys all leave. Yeah, you know, they usually have chairs in the Naylor Stone media suite when they do those junior uh, early announcements for the NFL draft. They just may need some portable bleachers in there. For, <laughs> just for hold it at Coleman Coliseum. Yeah, just have it there in one of the end zones, the lower level there at Coleman down on the court level because it is, it's really going to be, you know, that type of number that you're looking at. Now, I think as much as anything next year is daunting, well, of course, because you, you combine the potential losses, but Georgia comes on the schedule. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get Georgia in here in Tuscaloosa, you turn around, you go to LSU next year. Um, you know, you, and, and that, that, that includes what you get USC in the opener next year instead of duke uh look we can talk about you know whether or not usc is is going to get back to what usc has been in the past in the next 10 months or not who knows what's going to happen for sure with clay helton in that head coaching position out in los angeles but here's where i'll give you a reason for some optimism for next year i think line of scrimmage wise alabama has a chance to be better than it is this year, next year, because all of these young defensive linemen, the front seven in general, other than your two edge guys, which is pretty big. I get that. You know, we didn't, Anthony Jennings isn't a, a junior, so we didn't really hit on him, but you're going to really miss Anthony Jennings too. You're going to miss Anthony Jennings and assuming Terrell Lewis is gone, but between the tackle box, tackle to tackle on both lines of scrimmage, you should be in really, really good shape. So if you like that old school Bama and you like run to damn ball Bama, next year may <laughs> be the year for you. It may be similar to 2015. You know, 2015 Alabama underwent change at the quarterback position. We both recall how rocky that was a couple of games into that 2015 season. I'm not saying that Alabama has a Derrick Henry laying in the weeds. Because we saw Derrick Henry put up nearly 1,000 yards in 2014. It's not like he just suddenly burst onto the scene. He and T.J. Yeldon were a nice one-two punch the year before. 
But Trey Sanders, assuming he gets back to where he needs to be in terms of health, uh, behind that offensive line, breaking in a new starting quarterback, you're still going to have Jalen Waddell as a playmaker there at the wide receiver position. Um, defensively, you're taking some lumps in this front seven this year, but you got to think Shane Lee, Christian Harris, those guys are going to be better for it. Uh, you need some of those young edge guys to really come on. King Wakuda's got to come on here pretty quickly. You need Christopher Allen to make some more strides, um, but you've got an elite group of young edge defenders coming in in this 2020 class. It's going to be tough, I think, as much as anything, because the schedule is going to ramp up on you a little bit. But if you like lines of scrimmage and you put a lot of weight into the lines of scrimmage, that is, I think, the area where you can can feel pretty good about what Alabama might be in 2020. Husky Pup up next on the BOL Roundtable. He asked the question, Charlie, would you rather see Alabama win a New Year's Six Bowl or make and lose a college football playoff semifinal. Isn't that kind of like the old, would you rather make the NCAA tournament in basketball and lose in the first round, or go to the NIT and win a couple of games? What do you think, Charlie? I will answer this from a selfish reporter standpoint. <laughs> because that's what matters here on that Tide is, Talk. That that's is what, what we're here for, us. If if things play out, say Alabama wins the rest of their games and they're left out of the playoff, um, that the committee chooses to put Oregon ahead of them, that means Alabama will play in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. If they make the playoff but lose in the semifinal, they're going to play in Atlanta or Arizona. The national championship game is in New Orleans. That's the mm-hmm. best place to go and cover a postseason game for a bowl week. So for me, just from a selfish reporter standpoint, I would rather go and cover the New Year's Six Bowl because I know that a lot of people won't care about it as much, and I'll have a week in New Orleans. What but, about some of these projections for the Orange Bowl, though, Charlie? Don't, don't do, do not. Don't, put that, that, don't I'm no, raining on no, your parade now. Yeah. That doesn't. That doesn't. I don't <laughs> that doesn't like fit that the talk. narrative. That doesn't no. fit the agenda. This is. Yeah, I like this that. is. This is from the selfish reporter standpoint, Travis. You're not. <laughs> You're putting too much. No, I don't like that talk. But no devil's from, advocate during this I, segment. I got you. I, I think from an Alabama standpoint, though, I think you would you would want to make the playoff. Sure. I mean, you're you're a part of that. Um, you're in the discussion. You're you're the only team that's ever been in it six years in a row. Right. Um, if if things play out right now, um, the the way that you know, the top three has been, if those those teams went out, it's everything chalk with them. Then Alabama would play. Uh, LSU again in Atlanta and um, I know they don't have Tua but you know they put up a good fight after some very uncharacteristic um, you know mistakes turnovers so I, I think it would be interesting but um, you know just from from me and where I would want to go I, I know that if you go to the semifinal and lose you don't get to go to New Orleans and be around there around New Year's Eve so I, I would much rather just go for the New Year's Six Bowl you are the standard in college football And part of that involves those tweets that you see come from the Alabama football uh, account. How many of these do we see? The only program in college football to dot, 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 right? There's all of these. So if you can keep that CFP streak going at six for six, win or lose, whatever, you you obviously want to do that. And by the way, 
just because you don't make the college football playoff doesn't mean you're going to have a cake bowl game. And, and, you know, ask Georgia about that last year, going to New Orleans to take on Texas. Do you really want to see Jay? If you're Alabama, Charlie, do you really want to see Jalen in a meaningless bowl game that is good, that's going to be very meaningful to Jalen Hurts? Do you want that in New Orleans? I mean, not from the selfish reporter standpoint. We understand that. <laughs> but if you're Nick Saban, and you're Alabama. Do you really want to go down to New Orleans and see a motivated Jalen Hurts in a meaningless bowl game? See, that's where it gets interesting because then you start to to question. One of the reasons I, from just a another, I guess, different selfish reporter, <laughs> is if they make the playoff, you don't have to deal with a lot of people sitting out of a meaningless bowl game. And that's something and, that – And that's an entirely head, new dynamic. Yeah, that that's would, a – that we haven't seen from Alabama, yeah, right? That's that's a headache we haven't had to deal with. So if if they're playing in a meaningless yeah. bowl game, a lot of those people we just talked about that are going to have um, you know NFL decisions coming up, they could choose not to play in that game. So say hypothetically speaking, half of the guys on defense don't play. Well, we've already seen a, a defense that uh, gave up a ton of yards to Joe Burrow, gave up a ton of yards to John Rice Plumley, gave up yeah. a ton of yards to Tommy Stevens. Well, you don't think Jalen Hurts is a better runner than all three of those guys, and he won't be motivated. So that is a uh, that is an interesting, and I think right now if everything works out um, to where Alabama isn't in the playoff and they are uh, the next best rated um, SEC team, and they get to New Orleans, Oklahoma is the team they're going to play, and yeah. um, it's it's a scenario where it could be it could I don't want to say disastrous or anything like that, but it, it's a it's a recipe for disaster just in terms of the outcome of that game potentially. Well, you know, in in either situation, uh, you got this 12, 12 wins in a season thing going too, right? Yeah. 2014 won 12, 2015 won at least two. You've won at least 12 every year since 2014. So you, you would like, regardless, you would like to try to keep that thing alive. Um, yeah, I still go with the, uh, for, for a multitude of reasons, including the one that we just talked about with the whole scenario that we have yet to experience under Nick Saban and one that might send him totally over the edge, Charlie, if four or five underclassmen go to him and say, look, you know, I'm not playing against uh, Oklahoma or whoever it is, or Virginia even. You know, you probably still handle Virginia or a team like that in the Orange Bowl. Um, but you don't want you don't want to see Oklahoma with all those guys sitting out. And really, if you're Jalen, would you have to consider maybe sitting out? The bowl game, if it is in Alabama, if it is in Alabama on the other sideline in the Sugar Bowl and you're Jalen Hurts, don't you have to consider it or would you consider it? For him, I mean, I don't think he's a first-round lock by any stretch. Yeah. I think that the more film that he can put out there, maybe it's a it's a concerted effort. He goes to um, Lincoln Riley is like, look, we need to showcase my passing ability. This is my last chance yeah. to show teams in an actual game that – you know, I can uh, make all the throws. So for him, I think there's a lot riding on it. But you look at a guy like like Jerry Judy. I, I think he's a guy that people universally considered a, a first round draft pick. What more does he have to prove? You know, he, he's coming yeah. off of Blitnikoff yeah. season. You know, he just needs a, a few more yards. He has back to back 1,000 yard seasons. It's, it's guys like that where you're going to get the the potential for them to sit out. But I, I think a guy like Jalen uh, still has a lot to prove. 
there's some guys that are potential first round guys for Alabama that would, in my opinion, still need to play. I think Trayvon Diggs would need to play. Yeah. I don't know if he would. He would be an interesting case study in that. Um, you know, Xavier McKinney kind of on that. You know, if he's thinking about making the jump, um, you know, there, there, there are some guys like Jerry Judy. that are slam dunks that I would think would have to very seriously consider not playing in a game that isn't CFP related. Um, but there are also a, a handful of guys that, that probably would, would need to probably lean towards playing uh, regardless. Cunny 035 on the mailbag thread. He's, uh, he's not playing around, Charlie. Straight up. Here's his question without a question mark on it, by the way. <laughs> Do you see Alabama demoting Pete Golding after this season? Woof. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's too late for that kind of question, but Cunny hit us with it. Demoting, no. Um, the way that if, if Nick Saban isn't happy with the way that a coach is, is performing or you know getting his guys ready, he, he conveniently finds them new jobs elsewhere. Um, so I don't. I mean, he's not going to be demoted within the program. I think if he's not happy with him, then then you'll see Pete Golding, you know, coaching defensive backs in the NFL somewhere or something like that. Um, but I do think that you also got to take into consideration what Pete, the, the hand that Pete Golding has been dealt this year. We've talked yeah. to ad nauseum on this podcast about all the injuries. You've lost your two defensive signal callers uh, before the season even started. Um, you lost one of your best defensive linemen slash pass rushers in Brian Ray um, in the middle of the third game of the season. Uh, you've had now you're going into you know, the final stretch of the year where you're playing, I know it's, you know, a FCS opponent, but you're playing without potentially four defensive linemen. Um, so it's it's been tough. And um, the, the way that he has had to get guys like Shane Lee and Christian Harris ready each and every week, and, and they don't have somebody. This is one of the, the biggest things I think that, that Nick Saban said this year that has rang true is a lot of times when you have young players, you can be like, okay, look, watch how this guy does it. With Dylan and, and Josh McMillan, out they don't have that player at inside linebacker so you're having to get these young guys just to to lead and lead without an example and lead an entire defense as signal callers so it's been tough uh i know the defense uh, hasn't played like we're used to it you're used to, to seeing it play um and I, I know a lot of these guys zig when they should have zagged but um you know he's been dealt a, a tough hand and uh, i think the defense played pretty well last week say for those quarterback runs and I think some of that inexperience with the, the inside linebackers play into that I think the defensive line uh, playing that as well so I don't think a demotion would ha- happen if Nick Saban when he sits down and evaluates this season if he wants to go elsewhere you'll see Pete Golden get a job somewhere else it won't be all right we're just going to let you coach the inside linebackers I'm going to hire a new defensive coordinator maybe the Tosh Lapoy route but I've said it before and I know we've talked about it, as you said, unprecedented, okay, unprecedented. Kevin Steele didn't deal with this when when he came in with Nick Saban at the start of this thing with Saban's time in Tuscaloosa. Kirby Smart didn't have this sort of situation during his time as a defense coordinator. Jeremy Pruitt did not have this sort of situation. This is unprecedented, uh, what we've seen with Pete Golding here in the last couple of years, and certainly this year 
with not one but two true freshmen at his position of responsibility on top of coordinating the defense. So for me, it's to be determined if you want to grade Pete Golding because we haven't seen anything like this before in the Nick Saban era. As we get out of here on a Tuesday night Tide Talk with Charlie Potter and Travis Ryer, Bama backer Bill, we're going to wrap it with you. Bama backer Bill asks, which is more likely, Bama making the CFP or the NCAA tournament in men's basketball this year, Charlie? That's tough. Um, I think Alabama still has a decent shot to make the playoff. Um, yeah, obviously things have to go uh, their way. I think um, you know you need Georgia to lose in the SEC championship game. I think a lot of people expect that, but that's you know to be determined. Uh, they obviously have to win the Iron Bowl. I think they they need to win the Iron Bowl in pretty convincing fashion. I'm not saying go out there and, and beat Auburn by 40 points, even though that would help, but um, I think they need to show the committee that you know they're still one of the best teams in the country, despite who's the quarterback. I think Mac. You know, needs to play mistake-free football. Needs to get the balls, uh, get the ball to these receivers quickly, and let them make plays. And the defense needs to play what they did last week, uh, save for those quarterback runs. So, um, you know, they they have a, a tall task in front of them. It's going to be on the road. Um, you know, Auburn has a pretty good defense, but I, I think I think this team with Mac at quarterback is is capable of of beating Auburn. Um, and like yeah. I said, you need you need help. You need Georgia to, to lose. Um, you know, you never know what's going to happen out in the Pac-12. But I think with them sitting at number five, if if they win out, win out convincingly, um, I think Alabama has a chance. Um, I think they're really waiting to see what happens with Mac and, and how this team looks without Tua. And um, you know, that's that's basically what Rob Mullen said, the the committee chair, um, Therese Davis on the the ranking show tonight. So there's still a chance. Um, it's early for the the men's basketball team. Uh, you know, they're sitting at two and two. They got a couple of really tough games coming up. I mean, the, the next game on your schedule is North Carolina, and um, you know, I think they, if you go back, um, you know, the Rhode Island game, you, you, there's not much you can do about that. But you, you wish you could have that pin game back, and um, you know, maybe hit those free throws at the end or anything that happened before that. I think Alabama had opportunities in that game, but um, you know, all the games that are happening right now, these non-conference games, come back to bite you a little bit uh, come March. But if they're able to to figure out this turnover situation, if they're able to stay healthy and um, you know, continue to play at this pace that they're playing, I think they'll give some SEC teams some trouble. But um, it's a tough road to hoe ahead for, for Alabama in this basketball. So for me, right now, I would probably say the CFP. Uh, but uh, my confidence meter isn't just, you know, off the charts on either one of those. Yeah, math works out in the favor of hoops because you're talking about the NCAA tournament. There's 68, right, potential spots. CFP, you're talking about just four. But you know right now Alabama is sitting there at fifth. And so with that, I would, I'm like you, I would lean more to the college football playoff. And it's interesting because the candidacies for both these teams that we're talking about have been severely impacted by injuries Mm -hmm. or, you know, absences, right? I mean, you look at hoops with Rojas out, with Gary out, with Quinterly coming up short in his bid for immediate eligibility, Oh, the, those are big blows to a team that if you have those pieces, yeah, we can talk about 
potentially being, uh, uh, I think, with confidence, an NCAA tournament team. I know that was Nate Oates's sort of expectation, you know, before all this stuff sort of went down. Um, Alabama football, likewise, same type of story. Um, but I would too. I, I would lean more to the to the college football playoff right now for for the football side of things more so than hoops uh, dancing in the big dance anyway in 2020 well charlie i think i think we hit it man this uh this late night edition of tide talk uh we we ran the gamut pretty much so uh if it's good with you we'll get out of here yeah i mean this this episode's been kind of like the start to this week and the the weekend it's been jam-packed with a lot of information (laughs) let's just say that i'm ready for a a little bit of a quiet next couple days and knock on wood that happens you know, we uh, format these. We try to format these where they'll basically fit into your commute to and are from work. Well, this one's going to get you to work and home. We're going to we're going to this is a round trip edition of Tuesday Night Tide Talk. But uh, Charlie, always appreciate it. Always a good time. Always appreciate your great work with us there at BamaOnline.com. Look forward to doing it again next week. All right, man. Always fun to catch up. There he goes, Charlie Potter. I'm Travis Schreier thanking you once again for joining us here on Tide Talk, part of the Built by Bama online podcast, which if you haven't already, we'd appreciate you subscribing to the Built by Bama online podcast. Maybe leave us a review while you're there. We would greatly appreciate it. Have a great night, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.